You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. Christmas is just a little over two weeks away, and I'm sure that when I say that, there are some of you that say, all right, bring it on, I'm ready. And there are others of you that say, I have not bought anything yet. But when that morning comes, ready or not, when it comes in just over two weeks, the children that you've had a hard time waking up every school day this year will suddenly be morning people. They'll be excited to wake up. They've been looking at the gifts underneath the tree, shaking them, or hoping that Santa's bringing them something. And on that morning, it will be the fulfillment of that hope that they've had over the last several weeks. And today, what we look at in Isaiah chapter 60 is very similar to that moment on Christmas Day when you wake up and there is the fulfillment of a hope. There's the fulfillment of this promise, this thing that has been looked forward to for so long. And Isaiah was a prophet who had the, the, the difficulty, the burden, the task of preaching a message of judgment to the people of Israel as they were being conquered by the Assyrians who would then be conquered by the Babylonians. They watched as nations that they had made peace treaties with would turn on them and carry them off into captivity. And while they're exiles and while they are broken, Isaiah preaches to them that the reason they're experiencing this is because they have turned from God. And they're facing the wrath of this world because of their failure to trust the Lord. But God gives Isaiah a gift. And that while Isaiah lives in a hard time and prophesies a difficult message of judgment, in the last section of Isaiah's book, from about chapter 40 on, he gets to prophesy of the return of God's people and the leading of God's people by his Son. He gives us these beautiful pictures of Jesus coming and preaching the gospel to the poor, being broken for our iniquities, bruised for our sins, but leading Jerusalem back, coming to be the king of Zion. In Isaiah, we have all these very clear references to the birth, the life, the sacrifice, the resurrection of Jesus, and the ultimate return of Jesus to establish a new heaven and a new earth. And so in Isaiah 60, Isaiah is preaching to the people. He's giving them a message as if all of this has already taken place. He's talking to them in terms of they've already returned back to Israel. And he's speaking to them as one who is looking back on God's fulfillment of that promise. Isaiah is like that kid on Sunday or Christmas morning who says, wake up, it's Christmas Day, it's time. My children are so different. My son Lincoln is going to turn five this week. He'll be five on Tuesday. And Lincoln has just always seemed to be a morning person. Now, he's not wake up at 5.30 and have coffee and watch the sunrise, but he wakes up so much easier than my daughter, who is eight. She struggles in the morning. And even on Christmas morning, I'm sure that it'll be similar, that it'll be much easier for Lincoln to wake up. And Lincoln is kind of known uh, in the, the summer when he can be somebody, somebody who's the first one up in the house after dad's gone to, to come into the living room or come into the kitchen and say, Mom, it's morning time. 
It's morning time. Isaiah is like Lincoln here. He says, it's morning. God has fulfilled the promise that he made. He has come. And so with me, look at Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 3. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. When we come to Christmas, there are so many traditions that center around light. We put up trees in our homes and we cover them in lights. Or you have a pre-lit tree, which is the greatest invention in our modern times. Unless you get a pre-lit tree that doesn't light, then it's a problem. We have trees that we put lights on. We put lights on our houses. We have lights that decorate the poles here in town. We have all of these celebrations that center around light. On Christmas Eve, we will gather here that evening at 6 to worship together with candlelight to represent Christ being that light that comes into the darkness. Throughout Christmas, we have these traditions of celebrating light because Christ is the light. And that's what we see again and again in the Christmas story. We see that Jesus is born in Bethlehem and just outside of Bethlehem in the countryside, shepherds are in the darkness of night with their flocks and suddenly the night sky is filled with the glory of the Lord which shines all around them. We read of three magi, men of wisdom who studied the night sky, are led by a bright star to where Jesus is born. The star literally lands right over, directs them directly to the house where Jesus is at. When Jesus' close friend and disciple John would write his biography of Jesus' birth and life and sacrifice and resurrection, John would open up his biography in this way, in John verse chapter 1, verses 4, 5, and 9. In him was life, And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness understands it not. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that comes into the world. And so it's fitting that we celebrate Christmas with candles and lights on trees and lights on houses because we celebrate the birth of the light. We celebrate Christmas with light because Christ is the light. And he arrived on that day. In 1899, Charles Spurgeon preached on the very first Sunday of the year at his Metropolitan Tabernacle in London on the light of Jesus Christ. And he said, I must confess I am out of my depth. I see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus, but to describe it is quite impossible. And he went on to explain that the first time that he ever saw an electric light turned on, He said, I could have told someone that it was brighter than a gas gas lamp. I could have told someone that it was equal to many candles, but I could not explain how it worked. I could tell them how bright it was in comparison to other things, but I couldn't explain how it worked. And he said, the same is true about Christ. When I look into the face of Christ, I see the light, but I can't explain how all of that works. I can only point to someone and say, you must see the light for yourself. 
And what Isaiah says here is arise and shine for the light has come. He has arrived. And the classic best-selling Christmas song, White Christmas, it's wished that all of our days would be merry and bright. And last week we focused on having merry hearts in this Christmas season. But today I want you to see that when the light of Christmas makes us bright and makes us shine, that it gives us reason, it gives us cause to be merry. We're talking about having merry and bright days, but I tell you that when we are bright with the light of Christ, it will make us merry. It's for that reason that Isaiah proclaims to the Jews, first and foremost, wake up, arise, arise, wake up, your light has come. That's where I want us to start. It's morning time, wake up, arise. I feel like this is an appropriate command when I I make my way through our town and I see the lights on houses and I can see the Christmas trees decorated with lights in every window and I go into the gas station and I hear Christmas music being sung about my Savior and Lord and I go through town and I see that everyone in our community just about is celebrating Christmas but yet we are asleep on the fact of what it really means how important it is, what it is that has arrived in the person of Jesus Christ. I want to yell at everyone, wake up, arise, it is morning time. This is not just a celebration, this is not just a holiday, this is the arrival of the light that is Jesus Christ. It's more than a reason for us to to sing. It's more than a reason for us to give and exchange gifts. It's a reason for us to reorient everything in our lives. It should all be different because of the arrival of this light. But yet we sleep. And I feel that when I walk through our town and I feel that when we worship here together because while we know Jesus to be the light, we are so distracted by everything else And I feel like Isaiah would say to us, just as he says to the Jews, wake up! The light has come. The king has arrived. He's been born. Arise and shine, for he is here. We worship and we celebrate as though we have physically just gotten out of bed and spiritually yet still sleep. Arise. Wake up. Like a child on Christmas morning. I want you to wake up because at the foot of the cross, at the foot of the tree, there are all these gifts that Christ has purchased for us that are available to us. That's what Isaiah is saying to Israel. He's saying there is so much brokenness and we've been carried away in captivity and we failed the Lord. We've wandered from Him and we have felt the the punishment that this world will dole out when we are far from God. But Christ is coming and He is purchasing us many gifts. Don't leave them open underneath the tree. Let's go. When the morning comes that we'll open gifts around our tree and the kids wake us up, the very first thing that I will probably do will be stumble to make some coffee. And the kids will say, what are we doing? Come on. Let's open up gifts. Why are you messing around with the pot? Let's go. And we stumble around and we are distracted by so many things. Isaiah says to us, wake up. Arise, arise. And after he has said arise, he says shine. Arise, shine. 
And, and I love that here in Scripture we have this kind of this forbearing of our standard phrase, rise and shine. And that's what Isaiah is telling us to do. Wake up, arise and shine because the light has arrived. And the order here is important. Because the reason that Isaiah can give this command is he's preaching from the perspective. He's delivering this message from the perspective. Wake up and shine because the light has arrived. The fulfillment of the promise has come. We shine because the glory of the Lord has dawned. We don't arise so that we can shine. We don't arise so that we can produce light. We don't arise so that we can get the lamps burning and light the lanterns. We don't arise so we can turn on the Christmas light. We arise because the light has dawned. The light has come. The light is here. And when we arise and we see it and we are in its presence, we will shine because it reflects off of our faces. It is seen on us. We shine not because we are the sun that is rising, but because the sun has arisen. Like the sea that shines when it reflects the light that is risen at sunrise, we shine because the sun has come. He's arisen. We're able to shine and be bright because He shines the light upon us. We merely reflect His light. In the neighborhood that I lived in as a boy in Nashville, there was a Nazarene church there. We didn't attend the Nazarene church, but they had a gym And in their gym, they had roller skates, racks of roller skates, and they would invite the children of the neighborhood to come to their gym to roller skate in their gym. And as a kid growing up there in Nashville, I had been to to the roller rink, the actual roller skating rink, and I thought, man, skating in the Nazarene church gym must be pretty lame in comparison to going to the skating rink. You know, because at the skating rink, they got the lights and the lasers and the strobes and the music and all that stuff, and this is just a gym. And some of my buddies were going, so I went. And after everybody got their skates on, they'd helped everybody get their skates on, they turned out the lights, and they flipped on one light. And there in the, the, the middle, near the ceiling of their gym, they had a mirror ball, which some of you probably know more familiarly as a disco ball. And it had always been there, but I had never seen it. But when they shined that light, that bright light directly onto that mirrored ball. It reflected light all through that gym, and suddenly that Nazarene gym felt pretty cool. It felt like the skating ring. And that light shined on it, and it refracted and reflected all over that gym. That's what Isaiah is calling the people to do. Arise and shine. Be a reflection of the light that the Lord is pouring down on us. Israel was not called to be the light or to produce the light. And we are not called to be the light or produce the light. We are called to reflect the light. Our job is not to be the sun. Our job is to be the moon. The sun produces the light, and we merely reflect that light into the darkness. That is what we do. Called to reflect the light. And the brightness of the light coming off of us depends on the brightness of the light shining on us. And Isaiah says to Israel, Rise, Shine, for the light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. And verses 2 and 3 make it clear that they will be shining lights in a dark world. Verse 2 says, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. Darkness will come upon the earth, and gross darkness will come upon the people. 
And so it's not just that there is this lack of light, this physical lack of light in the world like there is at night. There is darkness upon the face of the earth, but there is also a gross darkness among the people. And when Isaiah uses this, this terminology of a gross darkness, he's not using the word gross that we think of today, that something, ooh, that's gross. Even though that would be fitting and appropriate. That there is a gross darkness in our world. But rather, what he's saying is he's saying it is a thick darkness. A heavy fog, if you will, that is on the people of the world. And it is not just that there is an absence of the light, there is this penetrating darkness that comes into our communities and our homes and our families and our towns. And if you have been up at morning when the sun has started to rise and there's fog, the light is coming on, but there's still this soupy fog that obscures our vision. And he's saying, that is what we have we have this darkness is upon the face of the earth, but there is this gross darkness that is upon the people. There is this fog. But the Lord rises upon you, and His glory rises on you. He says, Israel, God's people, God's followers, there is a thick darkness on the world and a gross darkness upon the people of the world, but God's light shines on you. And it reflects off of you into this world. And verse 3 says, Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Gentiles will come to your light and the kings will come to the brightness of your rising. Is what it tells us. Because God's light would rise in Israel because Jesus would come, born in the line of David. He would fulfill those promises that had been made to the Jews over and over and over again. And these nations that they had been at war with, these nations that had carried them off into captivity, these, these barbarians, these Babylonians, these Assyrians that had been God's instrument of punishment in their lives, there would be a time that they turned and looked back at Israel to find the light. And what God has done in sending His Son is that He has drawn all the nations to Himself. And today, around the world, there are people of vastly different cultures and languages and pigments of skin that worship Jesus that have come to, to kneel at a manger in Bethlehem, that have come to celebrate the arrival of the light in the line of David. The nations have come. It says, there's a, a heavy darkness, but upon you the glory of the Lord shines and it reflects out. So shine, awake, and shine, and the nations will come. They will not be able to see, but they will see the light. And they will be drawn to that light. They will come to that light that reflects off of you. And what Isaiah is saying to Israel and to us is that we should arise and shine. Because the darkness of this world is thick. And when we reflect the light of Christ, there will be people that are drawn to that light. There'll be people that are drawn. They have, no, they have no sense of bearing. They have no idea where they are. They are lost 
but when the light of Christ reflects off of us, it gives them light. It gives them guidance. It gives them direction. And it's not a light we produce in ourselves. It's not because we are impressive. We are merely mirrors that reflect the light that is Christ. Sailors mark their course at sea by the stars of the sky. Why? Because they're constant. Because they can count on them to be there night after night. The constancy of their shining makes them beneficial for navigation. If the stars only appeared every every so often, if they only appeared every couple of months, it would not be beneficial. But because they can be counted on to be there night after night, because they will be there, they can give the sailors navigation. The glory appears and the light shines, people come, and there is this constancy of the light. In fact, later on in verse Verses 19 and 20, Isaiah speaking of when Christ shall come the second time and establish a new heaven and a new earth. He says, There shall be no more light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be an everlasting light, and the God thy glory. And verse 20 says, Thy sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself, for the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy morning will be lifted. He's saying Christ is coming and He is giving us an everlasting light that does not fade. That that is there no matter what. That can always be counted on. I must admit, I I was pretty disheartened this week. The combinations of factors... The exhaustion of a difficult phone call and then immediately after visiting with one of our, our dear saints who is not long for this world. And after that visit, which was an encouragement, and it is an encouragement to see God's people go so strongly into the next life, to carry their their testimony and their witness. There's encouragement in that. But after that visit, I I was just flooded with emotion. But studying Isaiah 60 has encouraged me. Because this light that reflects off of each of us, this light that reflects off of the mirrors of God's people in Israel and God's people in His church today, this light continues on. And the mirrors may tarnish and fade and the mirrors may go, but the light continues on. I was blessed to hear uh, Rob Morgan preach uh, this week at a conference. And... um, he spoke of the constancy of God's Word and its continuing impact upon the world. And he said, most people are familiar with Martin Luther starting the, the Protestant Reformation in 1517 and, and starting this, this incredible revival by tacking his 95 complaints or theses on the Wittenberg door and his, his stand for the gospel. And I talked about Mount Martin Luther last week and how he came to know the gospel and how it changed his heart. But a hundred years after Luther, 
the movement that, that rose up in his wake, Lutheranism, it needed to be reformed and it needed revival. And so in the ranks of, of Lutheranism, Philip Spainer, an educator who became a, a pastor in Berlin, he called people back to individual study of the Bible. He called them back to personal devotion it, to God's Word and to God through His Word. And he started a revival that was called Pietism. But Spainer faced savage criticism. People mocked him and they questioned his motives. And he was often discouraged. But in Spainer's lifetime, he was able to minister and to mentor a young pastor named August Frank. And Frank went on to become a professor, and he was wholly given to helping people and having a passion for people, and so he established an orphanage. Because he felt like that was God's call in his life to be a minister to orphans, and so he started this orphanage. And then he passed on. And so Luther had passed on, and Spainer had passed on, and then Frank, who had started the orphanage, passed on. And a hundred years later, George Mueller comes to study at the university where Frank had been a professor, and he stayed at the orphanage that Frank had started. And he was so moved by this orphanage that he decided that when he returned to England, that he would establish an orphanage. And so in Bristol, England, he established a similar ministry. And if you've ever read anything about George Mueller and the ministry that he had and his, his belief and faith and prayer, you know that God did incredible things through his ministry and there at that orphanage. And Robert Morgan said that a couple of years ago, his daughter and her husband and their children decided that they would read a biography of George Mueller and his work in the orphanages as a family. And through the reading together, of uh, reading that together as a family, they were moved that God is calling them to, to serve the orphans in their area in some way. And so they decided to take in two foster children. And he said that just last week, he and his wife went and watched as the adoption process was formalized and those two foster children became a part of their family. And he said that when they talked to this little boy and girl that they were, they were the foster parents of and told them that they were going to adopt them into their family, they were explaining and they said, you're going to become a part of our family. You're, you're going to have our last name. We're going to change your last name. And the little girl said, well, can we change my name too? And they said, yes, honey, just, just as we, your, your brother's last name is going to change, your last name is going to change. She said, no, can we change my name? I want to change my first name. I said, what do you want to change your name to? And she said, I want to be called Hope. And Morgan said, 400 years after the life of Spainer, a life of discouragement, a life of frustration, a life of criticism, 400 years later through a chain of events, he said, we added our 15th and 16th grandchildren to our family, and now we have hope. And this morning, I'm reminded that this light that arrived in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, that it reflected off of person after person, it refracted off of the halls of time, the mirrors and the halls of time from person to person until it poured into the life of my grandfather in Oklahoma 
who became a Christian in a small free will Baptist church, and then the life of my grandmother on my father's side in North Carolina, and she became a Christian in a small free will Baptist church in North Carolina, and God reflected that light down through the ages until it landed on me. And that light came into my life. And what Isaiah tells us here in Isaiah 60 is that while the days are hard and the years are long and there is punishment and judgment and wrath and there is a heavy darkness that is upon the face of the earth and upon this world, my light reflects down through the ages of time and no matter how many mirrors, no matter how many of God's people are taken by time, it cannot move faster than the speed of my light which reflects down off of life to life to life because the light has come. And when that light radiates on us and we are bright, not because there is any light within us, but because the light of Christ has shone down through the generations off of mirror after mirror after person after person and shines upon us and we are bright because that light shines on us, how can we not be merry? Because our lives are bright in the light of Christ. Let's pray.